Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 15. We're doing a series on Sunday morning on Moses, the man of God. And today our message is called Two Incredible Days. Verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. You figure that out. Marah means bitter, bitter, yeah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. We're preaching through the life of Moses on Sunday morning, and we come today to the beginning of their wilderness journey. We've already noted that God did not take them by the easy way, well-known, well-traveled, trade route that existed in their day that's still there today that would have led them alongside the Mediterranean Sea. So they would have gone from uh, the uh, waters of the Nile there uh, where it flows into the, uh, in, into the Mediterranean and then just right on around the coastline, uh, even taking their time. And as my dad used to say, dawdling around, uh, they could have been there in a couple of weeks. And instead, a journey that they could have made easily in two weeks would take them 40 years. 40 years. God was leading them. They had the pillar of cloud that led them during the day, the presence of God out in front of them. They had a pillar of fire, a nightlight that God gave them at night to ensure them of his presence and to ensure them that it wasn't just Moses wandering around. Moses was following God. They were following God. God was leading them in the path that they took. 40 years. Now, the reasons why this journey went on so long are varied, and we'll see them play out. But a big part of why this journey took them so long, why that a trip of two weeks was turned into 40 years, has a lot to do with the things we'll see that are enumerated for us in these next chapters as we see events. And in those events, we'll see a pattern that develops. And that's the first thing I want us to talk about today, their pattern of behavior. They went three days, remember, into the wilderness, three days. Three days from what? Three days from the time they crossed the Red Sea. Where they went through with a wall of water on this side, a wall of water on this side, and dry ground. They didn't even get their feet wet. I can't walk around my yard without getting my feet wet. They walked across the Red Sea without getting their feet wet. They watched then as those waters collapsed on the armies of Pharaoh so that all of his mighty army and all their chariots drowned. And they saw their bodies washing up on the shore. They worshiped God. We'll see that in a moment. But after three days then... They're in the wilderness and found no water, and the people were complaining. 
Now, this pattern that is going to develop and play out then was something that is literally going to plague these people for the rest of their lives. It's a sobering thing for us to realize that we can settle into a pattern of behavior that can be fatal. We know this, that it can happen to us just like it happened to them because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we've looked at this several times and we'll see it again, that these things happened as an example to us so that we don't end up just like them. And the, the first thing we see is their worship. That was, that was the first part of the pattern. They saw what God had done. It was an incredible thing to part the Red Sea, uh, destroy the armies of Pharaoh. They saw God do something incredible. And remember, that was just one more in a long list of incredible things that they had seen. Miracle after miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing that God had brought upon them. And now this final act of destroying armies of Pharaoh, walking across the Red Sea. What'd they do? They worshiped. I want to just tell you today, I I don't think it matters much where you are. Although even my wife might argue with me on that. I kind of think that every place is a good place for worship. And I've always been one that I'm just liable to bust out with a little worship just about anywhere and at any time. I've got this theory that if you've got a, a big worship welling up inside of you and you try to hold it in, it's going to bust you. That's my theory. I don't, I don't want to be there. I find a way to let it out. I'm liable to just start singing somewhere. So just be warned. You don't have to sing to worship. Sing is only one way that we worship. But in this day, they did indeed burst out into song. Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I I believe he was singing under inspiration. How else could you write a song on the spot? Moses did it. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Moses wasn't the only one singing worship that day. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand. I don't know exactly what the timbrel is, but I kind of picture it as a tambourine. She took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. That must have been the chorus of that song he wrote, Brother Bill. Because here they are, they're just singing it. And they kept on singing it again and again and again. So if you're ever tempted to say, well, I don't like them songs that repeat. Think about this one. (laughs) They sang it a lot. And they kept on singing. I don't know how long they sang. But they repeated that refrain again and again and again. God has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. God's great deliverance prompted them to worship, and rightly so. We know that worship continued, of course, that day and the next day. But then came the third day. 
And after then, they were prompted to worship by God's incredible act of blessing and God's incredible power. Then came with it a sense that I could only call a sense of entitlement. God was right there before them in the cloud. God was right there before them in the fire. They knew that God was right there. They just two days before had experienced this incredible, incredible blessing. But now they're in the wilderness. They're getting thirsty. I deliberately didn't bring water in here today just so I could experience that a little bit better. I, they're getting thirsty. And so they began to complain. You see, I call this message two incredible days because there was two incredible days where they went on the power of the blessing of God, where they were going on the power of their worship of God, where they were experiencing his deliverance and shouting and singing victory and praise to God for two whole days. What a joy it must have been for Moses to go two whole days when nobody fussed about anything. Two incredible days. But then on the third day, they're complaining. They begin to murmur. I can't prove this, but this may well be the origin of the Wednesday night service. I don't know that for sure, but it, you can have a great, I do know this, you can have a great service on Sunday and experience God's presence and power in a very real way. And we can be shouting victory and singing amen, and I know some of y'all don't ever shout, and I know some of you don't ever say amen. You ought to try it sometime. It'll make you feel better. Uh, it does. <laughs> Thank you, WC. But see, no matter, no matter how great of an experience we have on Sunday morning, you still got to go home. And a lot of your homes may feel like the wilderness. You never intended for your home to feel that way, but it does. And even if things are good at home, then comes Monday morning and you got to go back to work. And for a lot of you, the work just feels a whole lot like the wilderness. It wears on you. It doesn't matter how great a service we have on Sunday, how much worship we have. The wilderness of the world, you see, never changes. And it's always a drain on us. It may be good, it may be better, but always we go from that time of worship and we go out into the world. And if you think it's bad when you're in church on Sunday and you have a great time on Sunday and then comes Monday, uh, just miss for a few weeks and see what it's like. We can almost feel their disappointment. It's almost palpable as you read the text. Their expectation of continued blessing was not met. God had done so many great things for them. They just expected it to continue. But then comes the wilderness routine. Walking, hot, not much water left, no water left, complaining. They worshiped. They expected then God's blessings to continue, and instead, things got difficult, and their response, of course, was to murmur and complain. 
Over the next 40 years, this pattern of behavior would play out again and again and again and again. It's not just once or twice, dozens of times, scores of times. You can read it over and over again. God would do something great and they would bless him and worship him. But then in just a matter of days, sometimes not even that long, their expectations weren't being met. God wasn't doing what they expected. Things get tough and difficult. The routine comes back and they're complaining. Sometimes we'll see it in our text where God would respond to their difficulty and their complaining and murmuring with a mighty act of grace. But we're also going to see over time that God started to respond with judgment. There might be provision afterward, but there'd be judgment first. You see, this, this pattern, this, this problem that they had was primarily a faith problem. But it was also a behavior problem, and it was a focus problem. It was a faith problem because they doubted God again and again and again. And it didn't matter how many great things God did for them. It didn't matter how many times God had shown himself faithful. They still doubted. Oh, God forgive us. When we continue to doubt you in spite of all of the times you've shown yourself faithful. But it was also a behavior problem. It was a behavior problem because they began to, to murmur and complain. They didn't cry out to God in faith. It was a focus problem because they were so caught up in what was not happening that they quickly forgot about everything that was happening. This is a demanding bunch. We'll see that over the next few weeks. We can be a demanding bunch too. So that's their pattern, their pattern of behavior. They responded to God's blessing with worship and rightly so. But then... Their response to God's blessing was a sense of expectation. So if God didn't continue with the blessings, they quickly then settled into that act of murmuring and complaining. A pattern again and again. But then we not only see the pattern then of these people, but we also see the provision of the Father. God's provision for them in verse 25. So he, that's Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Then he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the God who heals. We notice right up front that while everybody else was complaining, Moses was praying. You need to choose this morning which side of that equation you want to be found on. Moses made the right response. I mean, this was a legitimate need. They had to have water. And he knew it. And so he cried to the Lord. Here they were at Marah. And the Marah waters were undrinkable. They were bitter. 
So God showed Moses a tree, a tree that he could cast into the waters. And the waters then would go from being bitter to being drinkable. And not just drinkable, but sweet. Don't you love that? God made the water sweet. When I think about sweet water, I think about Fiji water. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I can't afford the stuff anymore, but it used to be a, a, a little cheaper. But man, I, I love Fiji water. Nancy and I took a trip to Fiji, a mission trip some years ago. I was so excited because, man, I thought I could drink all the Fiji water for free. <laughs> First thing they told us, you guessed it, don't drink the water. <laughs> that don't make no sense. Ugh. You couldn't buy Fiji water on Fiji. It's a strange thing. <laughs> they, they export all that over here. Uh, maybe it's different now. God made the water sweet. I've preached many a sermon from this where I talked about how that God still has a tree that makes the bitter sweet. And that's that tree that Jesus Christ hung on. But that's really a bit of a stretch in typology. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It's just a tree. The point was, is, is there a tree somewhere on the planet that we could go and throw in water and make it? No, no. What was at work here was the power of God. Something visible, something everybody could see. And God then made two things for them at this moment. First, he made an ordinance. And then he told them that they were in a test. The ordinance was, that is the rule that he gave them. He, there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. So there's a rule that he made for them. And the rule was that I'm God <laughs> and you listen to me and do what I tell you to do. And if you'll do that, he says, I'll bring none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. Uh, so within that ordinance or that statute, God gave them a promise and a revelation. He revealed himself as the Lord who heals. Our God is still the Lord who heals. Now you say, well, I go to the doctor. I do too. But when I get better after I've been sick, I always say, thank you, God. I'm the Lord who heals you. Now, I, I thank my medical professionals too. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the healing comes from God. But he told them, if you'll listen to me and do what I tell you, I will not bring the diseases on you that they had seen play out again and again on the Egyptians because I'm the God who heals. You see, God wasn't just the God who judges. God wasn't just the God who rains down death and, and pestilence. God wasn't just the God of war that could kill your enemies. God says, I'm a God that can bring healing into your life if you'll listen to me and do what I tell you to do. How many things in our life would be a lot better than they are if we'd have just listened to God and done what he told us to do? He gave them a statute and an ordinance, but he gave them something else. He gave them the assurance that what had happened to them was not just a happening, as in happenstance. He was testing them. We've already talked about how that when God tests us, it's not so that he can determine whether we are proficient in this or not. He already knows where we are. If God is giving us a test, there's something we need to know. It's going to show us either something about ourselves or something about God or both, usually both. 
There's something about ourselves we don't know or something about God that we don't know, and that's why he is testing us. Uh, That is, this is not just some meaningless circumstance. It is a test, a test. And therefore, it's an opportunity to learn more about who God is and what he does and how he operates. God tested them. After that then, God led them to an oasis named Elam. And they journeyed unto Elam. And the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. We probably should say, call that Zen. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month. 15th day of the second month. And they, after they departed from the land of Egypt, remember they came out of Egypt on the first, or 15th day of the first month. So it's been a month. It's been a month. <clears throat> but now they're out in the wilderness of sin and the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in, e- in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We're starving to death. Even if they hadn't have had anything to eat for 30 days, they, they wouldn't have been starving. They'd have been really hungry, probably, but, but no, starvation wouldn't. They'd probably have several more days to go before they starved to death. But apparently, they weren't getting enough to eat. They were hungry by this time. They'd spent some time, we don't know how, in that time of rest at Elam, which was an oasis where there was plenty of water and palm trees around for, uh, uh, for them to relax under. It was a, a wonderful time of rest for them after so much that they'd gone through. But now as soon as they left the oasis, they began to complain again because they're starving to death. There is a mystery here that I can't explain to you. I, I looked at it several times this week. I tried to figure it out. I, I, there's a mystery that I can't explain. Because the Bible tells us that they brought with them herds and flocks in abundance. Exodus twelve thirty eight And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. That's sheep, goats, and cattle, a whole bunch. All the way up until Mount Sinai, when they came to the Mount of God, Exodus chapter 34, God is still mentioning these, so their animals are still around. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, that's Mount Sinai, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. So they weren't even going to allow their animals to go on Mount Sinai. It was holy. God was there. Why weren't they eating? I can't explain it to you. The Bible doesn't say. For whatever reason, they didn't. But they were remembering. They were remembering the flesh pots. That was their big cauldrons where they had a lot of meat in it. That was the point they were having. We had bread, all we could eat. We could eat all we could eat when we were in Egypt. Isn't it amazing how quickly your memory passes away all the bad stuff and just remembers the good stuff? Oh, by the way, don't you remember that the Egyptians were feeding you so well because they were trying to work you to death? You do remember that, don't you? You do remember those taskmasters who were waving over. Yeah, they had plenty of food for you to eat. 
Are you making brick without straw? Remember those days? No, they didn't remember that. I just remember how that we had plenty to eat. Now I'm hungry. They've gone from being hungry, hungry to hungry to hangry. <laughs> yeah. Well, Exodus 16, 11, great passage. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. I don't know if you underline things in your Bible or not, but that would be a good one to underline. Think about that the next time we get that pity party started. I've heard, God said. I've heard what they've said. I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so it was that quails came up at even and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. Verse 15 says, when they saw it, they said, what is it? And the words, what is it in Hebrew are this manna, manna. Uh, manna in Hebrew means, what is it? That's what they said. Now, the manna was going to be bread from heaven. It didn't come down that way. It was this small, round something that was laying everywhere on the ground. They had to go out and pick it up. And God tells them in the midst of this revelation, he said, you will know that I am the Lord your God. Now, he said that over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. He'll say it over and over again in Leviticus. He'll say it several times in Numbers and Deuteronomy that you will know that I am the Lord. You see, not only did the Egyptians need to know who God was, not only did Pharaoh need to know that God was God, but the Hebrew people, they needed to know that God was God. Sometimes you and I need to be reminded of that too. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. God lingered over the manna. Now the quails came. Don't confuse this with the later story of when the quails came in judgment and they had to eat quail until they threw up. Uh, don't, 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 that's, not the, that's not the time. God sent them flesh, the quails, uh, to come. And, and so they had flesh to eat that night. And the next morning came the manna. And the manna would continue until they went into the promised land. God lingers in his description of the manna. Tells them a lot of things. The manna would not fall on the Sabbath day. Every other day it fell. On Friday they had to gather twice as much as they normally would. It, if they get, tried to gather too much on any other day, it wouldn't, it wouldn't last. It would spoil. And with everything that God told them to do, they disobeyed. Some of them tried it. Well, I'm going to get plenty. I'm going to make sure I don't, I'm not going to lack it. Well, it was all rotten the next day. No, every single day. You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our what kind of bread? Daily bread. Every single day they had to go up and gather the manna. Except on Friday. That was the only exception. On Friday then they could gather enough for Saturday because there wouldn't be any on the Sabbath. You think God was teaching them a lesson? I think so. God emphasized this weekly cycle, six days, the seventh day. 
And so God, God provided for them. He provided for them at Marah, provided them with water. He, he provided for them at Elam when the manna started and he gave them flesh to eat. Uh, there's one more incident than you need to see. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, this is 15, 16, 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Zin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Things are escalating, you see. They're not getting better as time goes on. They're getting worse. Now they're contending with Moses and tempting God. In fact, Moses would tell God in the next verses that the people were about to stone him. Verse 6, Behold, I'll stand before you, God said there, on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Uh, That's tempting and complaining or contending because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? What a question. Uh, what's that round stuff you go out there and eat every day? Where's that coming from? Have you looked in the sky lately? Did you see that pillar of cloud up there? Uh, did you notice last night that the pillar of fire was still there? Then where in the world did this question come from? Is the Lord with us or not? Remember I told you it's amazing all the experiences that we can have and all the blessings that we can have with God and still doubt Him? Here they were. Is God with us or not? They were thirsty. God provided. They needed rest. God gave them a place to rest. They got hungry. God gave them food. They needed water again. God gave them water from the rock. Is God with us or not? And so we, we see that pattern then, that pattern where they experience God's blessings, but then things got difficult and they begin to murmur and complain, and that pattern goes on again and again and again. We see that cycle, that pattern, uh, call it an addiction, call it a, a deeply rooted behavior, call it whatever you want to, to call it, it doesn't matter, uh, but that pattern plays out three times in three chapters. And all three times then, God responded with blessing, with revelation of himself, with promises, showing his power all three times. There's one more thing to see about these passages this morning, and that is the prophetic part, because there is a very prophetic part to these passages that's playing out. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 3, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth of these people, and he said this of them, they did all eat the same spiritual meat, manna, the bread from heaven, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 
When God told Moses to take the rod and smite the rock, that was a direct picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. How do I know it? Because this Bible says it. That rock was Christ. Smitten, yes. The smitten Messiah, yes. And it would bring out then those waters of life. Jesus would say in John chapter 6 and verse 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Let's take them in order. Paul said that rock was Christ. And they drank of that water. But they still died. Why was that? Jesus would talk about that to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. don't have time to go there this morning. Just remind you of it. To that Samaritan woman who he revealed himself to as the Christ. When she said, we know that the Christ is coming and he'll show us all things. And Jesus said, I that speak of thee am he. But remember how that story began. He said that if you would have asked of me, if you'd have known who I was, you would have asked of me living water. And I would give you living water because he who drinks of this water will thirst again. But he who drinks of the water I will give him will never, not never thirst again. This living water. They drank of that water that God provided for them, but they just got thirsty again. They ate of that bread from heaven, but they still died. And most of them died without going to the promised land. Most? Yeah, all but two. And it's not going to be Moses and Aaron. It's Joshua and Caleb. All the rest of them would eat of that bread... And as wonderful as the manna was, and as great as the manna was, and as wonderful as the water was, listen, that was just a type. But let me tell you something. When you eat of the bread that Jesus Christ gives you, you'll live forever. When you drink of the water that Jesus Christ gives you, you'll live forever. My question to you today is, have you been to Jesus for a drink of his water? Because if you'll drink that water, you'll never, no, never thirst again. And you'll live forever if you take Jesus Christ and the life that he offers you. Got a few observations for you before we go. Some things for us to take home. What's this all mean to us? Just a couple. I think one of the things we can see out of this passage very clearly is that God has established this seven-day week. I, I went looking this week. Uh, about why we have a seven-day week. Uh, and I came to the conclusion there was no scientific uh, reason for it. I mean, we know about the lunar cycle, 28 days. We know about the solar cycle, the earth around the sun, 365 days. Where did we get seven-day weeks? And predictably, uh, a lot of folks just take it back to the Babylonians. Some take it back here and there and other things. But you know what? The Bible, God's Word, our authority tells us where the seven-day week came from. God started it. When? When he made the heavens and the earth. On six days, God worked on the seventh day. Then uh, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that God hallowed that seventh day. Six days you work, seventh day 
That seventh day is for worship. And even though in the New Testament that day has changed over to Sunday, we still need to remind ourselves of how important our Sunday worship really is. Because you see, no matter how great our worship is on Sunday, our our weeks are still going to be in the wilderness. And the wilderness never changes. There's always needs. There's constant testing and ceaseless trials. And we'll always be tempted if God doesn't move on demand or if things don't work out the way we thought. We'll always be tempted to start complaining. God, are you still there? God, have you left me? God, do you really love me? If you love me, why is this happening? Sometimes we'll be tempted to turn from him to some sinful behavior, thinking that, well, if God ain't going to help me, sin will. (laughs) I'll go Dr. Phil on you this morning. How's that working for you? We can observe then that it's possible to see God's work and even see miracles, but still be unsaved. A lot of these people were not believers, though they were Hebrews. Some were Egyptians. There was a mixed multitude that came out of them. A lot of them, they had all seen the miracles. They all drank the water. They all ate the manna. But a whole bunch of them died, and a whole bunch of them died under the judgment of God. Paul warned about having a form of godliness. And the word he used there for form refers to a shell. It's like the form that you pour concrete in. It's just the form. And my question to you today is, do you have a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Have you expressed your faith in him? Have you received them? Have you drank that water? Have you eaten that bread of life and drank that living water? That only Jesus can provide. It's a good time to remember that God didn't take us straight to heaven when we were saved. (laughs) You do know this morning that he could have had us in heaven a lot quicker than two weeks. Amen? 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 We think, well, I could have been saved. Oh, Lord, please save me. Forgive me of my sins. And and poof, we'd have been opened up our eyes, raised up, and there he is. You're here. Nope. You see, he leaves us down here wandering in the wilderness like he does. And he does it for a reason. And this cycle that he's put in place at that time, this weekly cycle that that begins now on the first day of the week uh, with the day of worship that we give to God and we come and we praise him and we experience his presence and his power. We need it. And the wilderness needs it because they need to hear our song. We need to take our song away from here and continue to praise our God. You say, Brother Rich, I can't sing. If you can talk, You can say, praise the Lord. Take your song. Take your worship outside of this place. The wilderness needs it. That's why God's left us here and didn't take us on to glory. Another great thing for us to remember, just going away today, is God never wastes time and he never wastes experience. You might think, 
Man, they wandered around there for 40 years. What a waste. Oh, it wasn't wasted. Uh-uh. God never wastes time and he never wastes experience. And when you're following God, and they were, they were. Remember that pillar of fire? Remember that cloud? Following God, God never wastes time and he never wastes experiences. There was a lot they needed to know about themselves. There was a lot more they needed to know about God. A lot of them, their unbelief was going to play out in tragic detail. God never wastes time. And he never wastes experiences. Brother Rich, why does my home feel like a wilderness? Why is my job such a wilderness? Why are my classes at school such a wilderness? Why? I love going to church on Sunday. It's so great. But then comes Monday. and It's all week long. Week after week. You remember. God has you out there for a reason. The wilderness needs to hear your song. Two incredible days. You'd think that walking through the waters of the Red Sea, wall on either side, Pharaoh's army piled up. You'd think that that would have at least got them through to the next Sunday, you know? (laughs) Wilderness is brutal, folks. It's brutal. It'll get to you if you let it. We don't have to let it. Because our God is still great in the wilderness. And the God who's got you through before is going to get you through this today. And you can praise Him again. And you can praise Him in the middle of it. Because that's God's plan for your life. Stand together, please.